Let us pray. In other way, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, let's begin the Easter sermon this year with an urban legend. Don't know whether it's true or not, but uh, we are told that one Easter Sunday, many, many, many years ago, before cell phones, computers even, in a very small town where there was only one church, when the service began that Easter morning, the pastor went to the pulpit. Without a word, he took out a basin of water and he began to lather his face with a shaving brush. And then he took a razor and shaved in front of everyone. After that, without a word, he kept everything, then he disappeared. For one whole week, no one could find him. Well, being a small town, you can imagine the commotion it caused even came out as a report in the newspaper. Next Sunday, the church was full, packed, overflowing, out of curiosity more than anything else, to see whether this guy would come back. Well, he did. He reappeared and explained that what he did, he did to help the people understand the kind of impact the resurrection of Jesus would have had on the city of Jerusalem that first Easter. And then he preached his Easter sermon. Now, as far as I know, that Easter did not fall on 1st of April, otherwise known as April Fool's Day. Since today is the 1st of April, I was sorely tempted to try something like that. Maybe dye my hair green. But, well, sorry to disappoint. But I think we can imagine the impact of Christ's resurrection that first Easter, because its impact is still felt today. In our scripture reading for today, Paul writes in his letter to the Philippian church, chapter 3, verses 11 to, uh, 3, 8 to 11, these words. Will you now hear the word of God? Indeed, Paul writes, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word literally can be translated dung. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. This is the word of God. Now, if I take a quick survey, how many of us would like to experience the power of the resurrection? Maybe easier way. Anyone here would like to say, even if you offered to me, I would respectfully decline. I do not want the power of the resurrection. Anybody? Be honest. If your hand is up in your heart, God sees that. Anybody says no to the power of the resurrection? You say no. <laughs> or joking. <laughs> okay, some people. Alright, anyway, if you say no, Ken, God sees. He respects your choice. But I think most of us understand we will not reject such a thing. Well, it's not surprising. Uh, I was only going to say who in the right man would reject. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <clears throat> what 
is this power of the resurrection? What is this power of the resurrection? To explain, I need a long digression. So please excuse and hopefully you will see the method in the madness. In the Bible, there's a very peculiar passage in Paul's letter to Titus. This is found in chapter 1 and I'm reading from verse 10 to 14. This is what Paul writes to Titus. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Let me give you a context. Titus was left by Paul to organize the church in Crete. This epistle, this letter, represents Paul's instructions to his co-workers. Cretans were present at Pentecost. If you read Acts chapter 2, you will see this. Paul also stopped over in Crete during his missionary journey in Acts 27. But did you hear how Paul described the people of Crete, the Cretans? All liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now that's in the Bible, you know. That means like forever and ever. Your word endures forever, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? How would you feel if you were a Cretan? Anyone here been to Crete? Just wondering. Have you ever asked them how they feel about this? I've never met a Cretan, so I've never had the opportunity. Not been there. What if Paul had written about Singapore? What do you think would be in the Bible? All Singaporeans are SKS. I'm not referring to the favorite store of women for plastic packaging, huh? SKS is what? So kiasu. And when Singaporean tourists go around the world, they sound like chickens because everything is so cheap, cheap, cheap. Aren't you glad he didn't write about us? Well, what is Crete anyway? It's a small island in the Mediterranean. You can show the map, I think, if this are ah, okay. And uh, off the coast of Greece, now part of Greece, of course. And some say it, it was the cradle of Greek civilization from as early as 2600 BC. Now that's the time of the earliest pyramids, 1600 years before King David. 2600 BC. It's the place of the legendary King Minos, from which we get the term the Minoan civilization, the Minotaur and the Labyrinth. Anybody watch Wrath of the Titans? Ah, you saw that, huh? In case you don't know. Lah. <laughs> but for Paul, what did he say? All Cretans are liars. And he quotes a Cretan prophet. This person was called Epimenides. And quite ironically, being a Cretan himself, he was calling himself a liar. How about that? I don't know. We do know that the church in Crete was established very early from the book of Acts. So we ask ourselves, did it make any difference? 
that the people in Crete became Christians. Are they still like what Paul described? Well, you fast forward, we fast forward 2,000 years to the 20th century. Uh, an author I enjoy called Robert Fulgham, who wrote um, the book that made him famous was titled All I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. But uh, I'm quoting from his other book, It Was on Fire When I Lay Down on It. Titles are very interesting. Uh, he, also called, he has a book called Uh-Oh, you, you want to read that as well. Um, so, let me read to you from this book about Crete. He says, Near the village of Gonea, on the rocky bay of the island of Crete, sits a Greek Orthodox monastery. Alongside it, on land donated by the monastery, is an institute dedicated to human understanding and peace, and especially to rapprochement between Germans and Cretans. An improbable task, given the bitter residue of wartime. This site is important because it overlooks the small airstrip where Nazi paratroopers invaded Crete and were attacked by peasants wielding kitchen knives and hay scythes. The retribution was terrible. The population of whole villages were lined up and shot for assaulting Hitler's finest troops. High above the institute is a cemetery with a single cross marking the mass grave of Cretan partisans. And across the bay, on yet another hill, is uh, the regimented burial ground of the Nazi paratroopers. The memorials are so placed so that all might see and never forget. Hate was the only weapon the Cretans had at the end. It was a weapon many vowed never to give up. Never, ever. Against this heavy curtain of history, in this place where the stone of hatred is hard and thick, the existence of an institute devoted to healing the wounds of war is a fragile paradox. How has it come to be here? The answer is a man, Alexander Papaderos. Doctor of philosophy, a theologian, teacher, politician, Resident of Athens, but son of Crete. At the war's end, he came to believe that the Germans and Cretans had much to give one another, much to learn from one another, that they had to set an example. For if they could forgive each other and construct a creative relationship, then any people could. And to make a lovely story short, Papaderos succeeded. The institute became a reality, a conference ground on the site of horror, and it was in fact a source of productive interaction between the two countries. Now you can easily search for in Google about the massacre called the Vanios Massacre. 500 people died, and Dr. Alexander Papaderos. And by the way, the institute is called the Orthodox Academy of Crete and was um, started or established in 1968. Seems to me this is quite a distance between. Um, okay, this 
let me just say again. This academy promotes reconciliation, struggles against poverty and exploitation, ignorance and prejudice. Against war, against death, and against hatred. And it shows to me how far the Cretans have come from being uh, beasts and uh, liars and lazy gluttons. Papaderos is motivated by his Christian faith. And the Cretans responded positively. And to me, this is an example of the power of the resurrection. This comes to my first proposition. The power of the resurrection we normally think of affecting Christians. Those who trust in Christ, yes, we can achieve the power of the resurrection. My first proposition is that it goes beyond the individual Christian, it goes beyond the family, it goes even beyond churches. The power of the resurrection can impact societies, even nations. Say that again. The power of the resurrection impacts beyond individuals, families and churches to societies, even nations. It is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And Crete is not the only example. The late Billy Graham, I, I think some of us will recognize him, preached in Australia for four months in 1959. And besides the church growing, the impact on Australian society is well documented. You can also search for this. And uh, this is what the statistics give. 10% reduction in alcohol consumption in 1960 and 61. Crime stats show a brief halt in increase in crime, 1960 to 62. Business reported, quote-unquote, an epidemic of repayment and of bad debts. Counselors re reported that when burglars came forward to answer the altar call, they brought forth and surrendered the tools of their trade. And a district court in Sydney reported a 30% reduction in alcohol-related crime. Uh, seminaries and Bible schools, uh, they had spikes in enrollment, and that is just one example. To me, even more remarkable is the Welsh revival of the beginning of the 20th century. Also well documented, you can search for it. Following the Welsh revival, which was a couple of years, crime rate dropped to sometimes zero. Not only less, you know, down to zero. The police came to work and all they did was supervise people coming to and from prayer meeting. Magistrates reported to work and they had no cases to try. Um... Alcohol trade was cut to pieces. The word used is decimated because there were many more people in church than in the bars, which became almost empty. Families changed completely. The husbands and fathers used to take their pay and go and drink and bring home almost nothing. Now they brought home all their pay and the families therefore had more food, new clothes, even new furniture. But perhaps the most humorous impact was in the mines. Wales was at that time, uh, very important, coal mines. 
There, the men who were used to uh, cursing and profanity suddenly abandoned such speech and became actually polite. And they had a severe impact on the pit ponies. The pit ponies were small horses used, you know, because mines, you know, smaller, you need to be, yeah, to drag in uh, tools and drag out the, the, the coal. They were, the, the, the little ponies, the little horses, poor things, they were so confused because all they had known was their, their masters cursing and swearing at them to motivate them to work. Now these fellows were saying, please, can you do? And the horses could not understand what was happening. And so they could not work. And it seems, as in Australia, people with debts repaid them and returned what they owed. Now, I've just come to a conclusion, the way to test true revival is whether people repay their debt. If people don't repay their debt, it's not true revival. Just remember that. So, Crete, Australia, Wales, all show the power of the resurrection that extends and impacts far beyond the individuals, far beyond families, far beyond even churches. It reaches whole societies. Historians believe that the Methodist revival was what saved England from a revolution that the revolution that took place in France and other countries later. Should we actually be surprised? Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 21, says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. I know there's other stuff, but that's the important verse. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when God raised Christ from the dead. And this same power is for us. That's what Paul writes. The same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is the same power that works in all who follow Jesus and it's called the power of the resurrection. No wonder it works beyond individuals even to societies and nations. The question we ask ourselves today, are we allowing this power of the resurrection to work in our lives? Because it is more than able to do that. Anyone here remember the Singapore Monitor? I'm not talking about the lizard. It's a newspaper that existed. Anybody in my generation? One person. Only one. Dum blah blah. Two. Admit, admit. Okay, three. Right. Some of you um, were not born, I understand. Um, it's around now defunct. You can even hardly find any trace of it on the internet. But, on the Easter weekend of 1984, it published this story, which I will read for you word for word. It says this, In the darkest hours, before the dawn of February 24, this year, 1984, three young men were hanged in Changi prison. The world did not mourn for them. 
for they were murderers, convicted for the killing of two innocent people. On 24th April 1978, Yo Ching Bun, Ong Hui Kwan, and Ong Chin Hock, all 21 at that time, fatally stabbed a police sentry, Lee Kim Lai, 18, at Mount Vernon, to get a gun for a robbery. To get away, the trio, ki the trio killed taxi driver Chu Teng Hin, 60, and drove off in his taxi. All three were apprehended and sentenced to death on May 23, 1979. Now these were ruthless people stopping at nothing to achieve their aims. Yet while awaiting trial, a change came over Yo Ching Bun. He was converted to Christianity. After passing his highest level at secondary two, Yo stayed in school until he entered national service. After that, he was jobless. A jobless, frustrated youth wandering aimlessly in the fray of society. It was in this period of his life that, he, that the lure of money enticed him to plan an armed robbery and cause the deaths of a teenager and a defenseless old man. Although he was described as a self-centered person, Yo maintained during his trial that he alone was responsible for the two killings and that he had brought along the murder weapons without the knowledge of the other two. However, this was not accepted by the court. Now, each person would assess Yo's admission in his own light. To those who share his faith, such an act is reminiscent of what his Saviour came to this world about 2,000 years ago for, to die for the sins of others. Yo wanted to bear the punishment of his accomplices besides paying for his own crime. Now, contrary to popular belief, not many prisoners carrying death sentences turn to divine guidance when faced with impending execution. But Yo was not afraid to die. Alone among the three, he did not appeal against his sentence. Instead, he asked for an extension to share with the other prisoners the experience that caused the change in him. Before he died, he converted two of his brothers and one of his accomplices, Hui Kwan. In a letter to a fellow Christian, Yo wrote, A single error in life can lead to utter ruin. We know that it is rightly so that we suffer death. We were trapped by our own wickedness and destroyed by our own foolishness. Yo was baptized in April 1982. Waves of repentance churned by his faith had washed away the ruthless murderer. In his place was a selfless man filled with hope. He donated his eyes when he died, but his wish to give his kidneys was unfulfilled because of the lack of facilities. Such a conversion as Yo is the true significance of Easter. The inspiration of faith in the dark walls of a prison cell can only be the work of a miracle. The miracle of Christ's resurrection. Even to a non-Christian, if Christ's death on Calvary had transformed Yo's life during his last years, it has been worthwhile. I don't ask you to say Amen to that because I know you're already saying Amen in your heart. Now this is not Impact Christian Magazine, you know. Secular newspaper owes nothing to Christianity or to faith. This is 
the power of the resurrection. Just got one more testimony for you. Uh, the second story uh, is personal to me because I asked, I asked this person to write it down for me and I've kept this ever since. Um, this person Singaporean, my father's generation, was assigned in the middle of the 20th century after World War II, job assignment in London. He finds himself in an airport in Europe and he's trying to have a meal uh, in a cafeteria, looking for a place to sit down. He writes in the first person, so I will just tell most of you in third, but I will use the last part in his own words. A uh, few empty tables, but he, quite sociable guy, he goes to a table with another person, a European, sitting there. He sits down and he says, good afternoon, no response. For the next 20 minutes, he says he's trying to uh, begin a conversation with this European man. And no response. Up to suddenly, he then growls at our Singaporean friend, why don't you leave me alone? So as softly as he could, the Singaporean says, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. Began to pick up his tray and move away. The European said to him, Are you Japanese? When he was told, No, actually I'm Chinese. He said, Sorry. He had mistaken, been mistaken for a Japanese. Continued to explain, the European guy, continued to explain that he hated the Japanese because he had lost friends and buddies in World War II. He hated them so intensely he had even prohibited his son to have anything to do with the Japanese or even to buy a Japanese product. So our Singaporean friend says he sympathized and asked him, where did you lose your friends? He said, Singapore. <laughs> so our Singaporean friend says, no, I'm from Singapore. And the European asked him, were you there during the war? And our Singaporean friends answered, a day after Singapore fell, I use his words now, seven of my nephews were killed and a couple of years later my brother was captured, tortured and also killed. Then he was asked, don't you hate them? Singaporean answered, no more. And the other guy was taken aback and said, how could that be possible? using his words, huh? the Singaporean's words. I told him I could not have done it by myself, but Christ did it for me. Christ did it for me. So the man lowered his head and was silent for a while. Then he confessed that he also was a Christian and he felt ashamed. And before we parted, in the Singaporean's words, he said, with Christ's help, he was going to forgive and forget and was going to ask his son to do likewise. In his testimony, he writes, praise God. And I think we can echo with him, praise God as well. What's this? That's the power of the resurrection. Christ did it for me. Now, it doesn't mean that the 
Singaporean didn't do anything himself. It means that he let the power of Jesus, the power of the resurrection, do its work in his life to change him. And this is what we are all called to do as well. So, if I ask you, do you really believe in the power of the resurrection? You can answer whatever you want. But I will tell you, if you do, it will show in our lives. Okay, that's the two tests. If we really believe in the power of the resurrection, it will show in our lives. Don't need to say anything. It will show in our lives. Because this is who we are, what we do. Make it so. Let us pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for the power of the resurrection, how you have made it possible that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is working also in your people. Forgive us when we block it, reject it, or do not allow it to apply to us. We pray, like Paul, that we will want to share in the power of the resurrection, to share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering, to be like Him in death, so that by all means, we may also share in the resurrection from the dead. This we ask in the name of our risen, almighty Saviour, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.